Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Conversations. Here it is. The episode we've all been waiting for. And mainly just we, Brooke <laughs> and I, because, oh boy, it's Terravangian, or his new name, Terravodium. We know there's another one out there, which, you know. Is there? Yeah, Todium. Oh, I yeah, hate exactly. that. Sorry for the folks who are all into Todium, but... We are on the Teravodium bandwagon. I particularly like Teravodium because it also kind of has the word terror in it, and I which is terrified. how I feel. Exactly. <laughs> That's a great point. It would be better if all words had the feeling that they were meant to invoke Absolutely. in you. And terror is probably the best description for how I felt at the end of Rhythm of War. You had kind of the dual terrible endings or terrifying endings in that Teravangian becomes Odium and then he gets one over on everyone's favorite <sighs> and like, you know, most powerful character that we know of, Hoyd. And he basically we think erases part of Hoyd's memory, at least about that instance. Okay, but we're not going to go into that in this episode because obviously there is a series now that involves all the things that Teravodium has done and touches and is a part of so in this episode what are we gonna kind of go over and look at we are kind of going to focus in on Teravangian's timeline specifically in sort of the setup how Teravangian is set up uh to become Odium, so like Teravangian, the man before, and then his ascension to Odium, because that's a huge moment in which we learn a ton of stuff about shards and vessels and power, blah, blah, blah. And then we are going to take a look at some potential paths that maybe Teravangian will go down in the future. And specifically, we are going to avoid in this episode talking about that very epic epilogue with Hoyd and talking about speculation about the deal with Dalinar specifically. Yeah, there's a lot about... Odium's doing a lot in this book, but the bulk of the deal is not made with Teravodium. It's made with Resta Odium. So that's going to be a whole separate thing. We are really just trying to keep it specific and focused on Teravangian and where he came from, who he is now, where he's going. And so let us dive deep into the pool that is Teravangian. Teravangian is such an interesting and complex character, and we've had quite a bit of time with him on screen, and yet I still have so many questions about like who exactly he is and what his actual like goals and desires are always seen as a mystery a scene stealer each time that he was revealed or part of his character was revealed in the very first book way of kings 
he was just a character that we wanted to know more about. He comes off first as so like this. So mysterious. Yeah, He's kind an of enigma. Like ruler of a powerful city, Carbranth, where Yasna is and there is this kind of moment with where he's trying to save his niece, I believe, maybe yeah, granddaughter. Yeah, I think it's his granddaughter. But uh, he is, you know, portrayed as this very kind character. And then, of course, we get the reveal by the end of that book that he is, in fact, far more scheming, far more prepared, and far more willing to be kind of like a a utilitarian of Rashar or like the most single-minded person we realize in this greater war of Rashar, Teravangian is a huge threat. And then he just continues his manipulation, his workings on Dalinar and the coalition throughout the next book. But by the time we get to Rhythm of War, he's kind of on the outs. He's been discovered, quote unquote, as a you know, not 100% supportive of Dalinar and the Coalition. He, like, backed out before the end yeah, of the I mean, Oathbringer fight. They know that he, like, actively backstabbed them. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> but he's still, like... like not passive. <laughs> I just want to, like, set up where he is. He is still part of the Coalition. He is still a ruler of his people and is, like, we are more united against Odium, but we really gesture using Teravangian is what the other characters think. They're like keeping on the outs, but they need him still close by. But he himself is deteriorating rapidly because of his boon slash curse that I did in quotation marks from cultivation that really we don't know what's going on with that. There's an interesting parallel because he is also getting older and Typically, when humans get older, <laughs> we tend to uh, decline both physically and mentally. And Teravangian is finding that not only is he like naturally aging, but he is also having fewer and fewer smart days and more and more frequent stupid days magically. And by the time we get to the end of Rhythm of War, he will be at his dumbest day. Yeah. And... Even so far as it being compared to the reverse of his most intelligent day, like on the opposite end of that extreme spectrum, is we always heard about this one brilliant day, and then we get the one stupid day, and it's actually the one that is most important. Maybe something that Cultivation was keeping an eye on. She was uh, planning for just such a situation. We'll talk more about Cultivation's dealings with Teravangian a little bit later. Let's start with Odium itself or Raysa Odium. Yeah. And we hear a lot of interesting things while Raysa is still holding the shard of Odium about the relationship between that vessel and that shard, specifically one of the interludes. Oh man, the interludes in this book were so incredible. But one of them is from the perspective of Ja'anat. And she says, quote, she felt a surging to the power that moved within him. The mind did not like being questioned, but the power, it liked questions. It liked arguments. It was passion. There was weakness here in the division between the vessel and the shard, end quote. Now, that's not the only example of setting up a division within Odium, the Shard, and Raysa, the Vessel, that we see. We also have Harmony's letter to Hoyd that 
you and I talked about in detail in our epigraph episode. Check that out for like our full quotations and thoughts on that. And those thoughts are much more broad. Like Sazed presents the that theory, you know, big picture. Mm-hmm. And I like that from Ja'anat, we get this really specific example of a specific thing that differs in between the person and the shard. I just think that's really helpful to have that example to sort of start wrapping our minds around what exactly the relationship is there and how they differ. And you are talking about that piece of the quote that the mind, Raisa, does not like being questions, but the power does like questions as a reflection of questions come from a source of passion, a desire to want to know something and know more knowledge. And that's something that Odium the Shard seems to like and Raisa does not. Yeah. Raisa by nature, I think, is more uh, authoritarian. Yes. I love that idea. And it's not the only quote that we get from Ja'anat. Ja'anat is very observant. She has some excellent uh, observations here. Another one, quote, The power behind him is strong, but his mind is exposed. The mind and the power seek different goals. This leaves him not weak, but vulnerable, end quote. And that's a huge question that we've had about Odium generally. What are his goals? And it's just been driving the speculation throughout the early part of the series. I'm so curious what, what precisely are Odium's goals and then what precisely are Race's goals? And like in everything that we have seen, of odium up until now how you know how much of that is odium and how much of that is Raisa? it's hard to kind of guess because of the way that Raisa eventually is dispatched by nightblood and teravangian i think that there has to be a question that we have also mentioned briefly before in our just general overview but the idea that Raisa the vessel was failing the goal of odium the shard Mm. and that maybe odium the shard was like well time to go not having that specific of thought i don't want to give too much uh personification to the shard but just like the general concept of the odium has a goal jana is clearly saying that yeah and it seems Raisa as the vessel was not achieving that goal yeah and i know i've said this on the podcast before but i feel like it is either that the shard and the vessel are very closely aligned, which is something that Hoyd has said, and therefore Raisa is becoming subsumed by the power. Or if like the shard and the vessel are coming further apart in their intents, and that's what is weakening him. I think that that could be the case, especially with the failure at the end of Oathbringer, that that may have established a a psychic break, just if, to use a word like yeah. that, um, between actually, Odium and Raisa. We There's a quote that expounds upon that that we're going to get to later on down the line. I think that this also starts to introduce the fact that 
the character that we have relied upon very heavily up until now to provide real information that is, uh, you know, big picture, capital C, Cosmere, unbiased, aka Hoyd, who is like, you know, has been sort of the fount of all knowledge. Like, mm-hmm. oh, Hoyd is so old. He's been around. He's not, you know, particular to one world. He knows the whole Cosmere. So he knows what's going on. Let's listen to everything Hoyd says. And I think in Rhythm of War, we start to see how fallible Hoyd is. Yeah. And, you know, can we really trust his perception and opinions about Raisa from thousands of years ago? You know, like that might not really be valid intelligence anymore. And so I think we kind of have to take all of that with a grain of salt. We should also recognize that this is something that Brandon has done in other books and other stories. Yes. That the source of your knowledge is flawed. And our knowledge, as you're saying, comes a lot from Hoyd. I know. But what if that is flawed? We thought Hoyd was above it all. But But I feel like, ah, no, I fell into the trap again. (laughs) Exactly. We have the examples of Frost in that, in the couple of scenes that we have seen with those two interacting. Frost is very clearly saying the same warning that you are projecting. It's like, you don't know as much as you think you do. You're too involved. And you are seeking power beyond your station. Like, if we just take Frost at his word, maybe Frost is right and Hoyd is wrong. But we want to support Hoyd partially because he's a storyteller. and he We're tells starved this, for information. And he dishes it out in beautiful prose and yes. poetry. And, like, it's great to follow that train. But we have to admit that these characters, be they Hoyd or Shards, are flawed and that is summarized most clearly by this quote quote odium had incredible power that was clear he was god in power but in mind in mind he was a man end quote i think that this not only applies to odium and Rasa, it also applies now to odium and teravangian and every other character of incredible power it could be harmony, it could be autonomy, it mm-hmm. could be any of our super invested characters, like maybe a Dalinar down the road does something crazy and also is in a position of great power. But we have seen Dalinar's flaws and clearly yeah. he's progressed and characters can progress and that's cool. But like we should always admit that our characters, no matter how powerful, are filled with flaws. Along the lines of sort of that human aspect of the shards, we have this quote, quote, Odium has greatly expanded intelligence, but he feels the same way a man does, end quote. And I think this is the perfect sort of example of exactly how cultivation has set up Teravangian to become a god to like prepare him for this ascension because she both expands his intelligence and deepens his experience of human emotions. Yeah, I think that she says that specifically the idea of trying to, the Teravangian was on this path and she was just trying to provide a little bit of pruning as she did with other characters, but to just set him up 
in order to be a better vessel, a better potential vessel yeah. for the shard of odium. Which is really interesting. I'm very interested to see if her pruning actually does lead to a better result. Like, whatever that means, whatever a better vessel for a shard looks like, I wonder if Taravangian will be that. Because right now, it seems like Cultivation is the, like, sly, long-term player. You know, everyone else is playing checkers. Cultivation's playing <laughs> chess. She is thinking 10 steps ahead. She is pruning She's these characters. She's definitely playing the long game. Yeah, but what if, to keep it in perspective, we should also say she is flawed as well and may not be yeah. actually making moves that are going to work every single time. I could see it, like working out with Dalinar and not working out with Taravangian. But we have to wait and see yeah. for those types of reveals. And we'll talk more about their specific interaction. There's another key aspect that we have now seen in multiple books dating back to Taravangian's diagram where Renarin and possibly other characters with Future Sight throw wrinkles into the preconceived plans of the shards where for the reveal of Terra Vodium, we have also a known weakness that's mm -hmm. already apparent in yeah. Renarin because it's the same weakness that blacked out Renarin from the site of Odium, we should assume that that applies to Teravangian as well. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this parallel was really interesting. Like we've been drawing all these parallels between Odium and Teravangian. And I think we can kind of throw Renarin in there too. For example, Renarin says, quote, I think Odium might see like I do, not events or the world itself but possibilities, end quote. Now, we know that Renarin is a truth watcher, but that his spren was corrupted by Ja'ana. Yes. And therefore, it should be the case that Renarin is in maybe a unique position to scramble the plans of Odium. Yeah, I would think that... We know that there are other truth watchers, not very many, well, but there Relaine are some. Well, is the most obvious other one by the end of the book. Well, no, but there's just regular truth watchers. Navani mentions it. Non-corrupted. Um, correct. Excellent. Yeah, question. yeah, yeah, yeah. Regular old truth watchers. Mm -hmm. So I would think that Renarin would be able to tell if those truth watchers played and messed with future sight in the same way that Renarin does. And he doesn't mention that. He's quite specific that he in particular is kind of messing up the ability to see into the future of anyone yeah. who can see into the future, including Renarin. So it might actually be that the corrupted Spren truth right. watchers are the key, maybe because of being able to bridge the gap between or use both void light and stormlight. There could be some. Who knows? Yeah. But importantly, we'll talk about the introduction of more corrupted truth watcher spren in a second. But I think that this is also similar to Scadrial in a way with its god metal Atium. Atium, of course, when taken by the users, gives them 
a bit of future sight and the ability to see the possible movements but then when that is counteracted by another person using atm the possible futures become too complicated to understand basically you know described as spiraling out into like millions and billions of different possible futures and so it just nullifies everything yeah and that could be the way that characters like renarin maybe other corrupted truth yeah. watchers are forcing a nullification of yeah. the future site powers i think that's a great point and a great comparison to make that renarin is sort of leveling the playing field in a similar way to hem i hope so and renarin actually plays a important pivotal role in Teravangian's ascension, maybe even setting up the idea that Renarin knew or had some future sight of what was going to happen on this day. Yeah, I don't know. This whole sequence is interesting, and I have some questions about it because this is all happening super cut up in between all of the other things that are happening, between Dalinar talking to Ashar, Novani almost dying and saving the tower. Yeah, it's a Sanders Avalanche plus Teravanji becomes Odium. Kaladin, like almost, you know, descending into darkness. And then there's also this setup. And so I kind of went through and just read these Teravangian like little chunks all together to sort of put this together. So Ja'anat appears to Teravangian and he tells her that he is trying to figure out a way to summon Odium for his plan to get Odium and Zeth in the same place. Zeth, you know, is like not having it. And so Teravangian's trying to figure out a way to trick him into just happening to be in the same place at the same time as Odium so that he can use Nightblood to possibly kill Odium. And so Jeanat is like, cool, down at that plan. I will arrange for some of my children, her corrupted spren, to be sent to him because that will help lure Odium so, to him. That That's really all she says. She's like, don't worry, I'll take care of it. I'll send you some spren. And to me, that jumps out as Odium is on the lookout for her corrupted spren. Correct. I'm guessing because he already knows what Renarin is doing and like messing with stuff and he doesn't want any more corrupted truth watchers out there. Yeah. And he kind of suspects that Jaanat is not fully on his side. Yeah. Yeah. So he is keeping watch for those Spren as a way to, you know, see what she's up to. Of course, Teravangian is also experiencing his dumbest days as all of this is happening. So this is like the day before Ascension and then the day of Ascension. And he is... He's basically never smart anymore. He's always somewhere on the dumb scale. So when we're talking about Teravangian trying to trick Odium, it is with the mind that literally is crying at the struggle to read basic words. Just like a sentence takes him minutes to just parse out the very basic I think that's his dumbest day, but... He's real low. He's not the best critical thinker at the moment. I think means that it is important that all these other characters, 
have been like pushed in the right direction to see Teravangian and then to help him out. Like, I think it's all connected. And I think, yeah, that's that's actually really interesting because Teravangian, like his existence with this boon slash curse keeps begging the question of like, which one is better? Which one is more effective? Would mm-hmm. he have been as effective in getting other people to help him if he was, you know, smart and wily and crafty? Or is he succeeding because he is more in touch with his emotions and, like, probably better at relating to others, you know? And probably creating a dichotomy between the two where think of the way that he was introduced to the coalition in Oathbringer. Yes, he was playing a role. It was a role that he could play because of his boon and curse and the nature of his moments of intelligence and leadership. And he had conversations with different individuals when they came away and they're like, you know, Teravangian, he's kind of, he's got some things going on. But then on other days, he appears so weak, sometimes, you know, struggling to even comprehend what a meeting of the monarchs is doing or talking about that I think it like creates this this sense of like wanting to help almost like a pity I guess but like a a desire for other characters to help be like no he's okay even though he betrayed them at the end and still they're kind of like keeping him around as just like well that was the conniving because he's so weak at some point i don't know i think they keep him around just because they need like his armies and stuff but a lot of people continue to keep teravangian around and i think part of it is about this idea of like in weakness it's hard to like strike someone down you know think of someone beating up like an old man or a renarin-esque character yeah like you have those adolin types who are wanting to protect and the Kaladin types who are wanting to protect. And I think there's some urge to protect the weaker side of Teravangian. And then like you said, that allows him to achieve more than he otherwise would. So like in weakness, there is actual greater potential. The next time we come back to Teravangian in all of this jumble of things happening, he wakes up on his stupidest day immediately recognizes that he is the dumbest he's ever been and goes over to this basket of food that has been dropped off for him inside the basket is a note that has renarin's seal on it and a couple of spheres gemstones with corrupted spren inside of them the note from renarin well ostensibly from Renarin. We don't actually see Renarin write this note. It just has his seal on it. So I do want to just like introduce a little tiny seed of doubt and just say, we don't actually literally know that Renarin wrote this, but he, it says, I'm sorry. So the question then begs like, what does Renarin have to be sorry about? Except for the only thing that Renarin can do, which is see the future. So, yeah, I just, I don't, I really want to know what happens, like, in between those two sections. Mm-hmm. I assume that Ja'anat went to Renarin, said, hey, we need to send some corrupted spren to Teravangian. Please do that. 
And then Renarin saw the consequences that. of that. Okay, but what did he see? Did he see no Ter- Yeah, exactly. Did he see Teravangian ascending? Did he see Teravangian dying at the hands of Odium? Did he see Teravangian dying at the hands of Zeth? Did he see Zeth at all? Like, yeah, we have no idea what, what provoked did, him to say, I'm what sorry. What did he think was going he to was doing? Yeah. yeah, is my question. My assumption, and it is just that, an assumption, is that he saw the path to ascension and the corresponding horror that that burden is going to put on Teravangian. Like, I think he's actually sorry for his role. Teravangian is happy in- to ascend. Why would Renarin be sorry because for Because Renarin is not happy to see suffering or harm come to anyone. And I feel like he's saying, I'm sorry for my role in this. I'm sorry for what's going to happen to you, Teravangian, who becomes Teravodian. Mm, I, I don't, I don't think so. You introduced another idea, though, that it could be another truth watcher, another servant of Ja'ana, and the only one that we know about right now is Relaine. This could have well, been his coming out party, like doing something for Ja'ana. No. Uh, I'm, we have no idea. <laughs> this is definitely before Relaine gets a friend. And not that Ja'ana doesn't necessarily have other people, but yeah, I don't know. Listeners, please tell me what you think Renarin is, is sorry for. Yeah. What we know is that day of ascension for Teravangian comes on his dumbest day and Zeth shows up with Nightblood as Ja'ana has put these spheres which she knows or believes will trigger Odium to come and so the thing that was desired is all happening and if Cultivation also saw this as an possible end result for Teravangian, then this is the longest running con on Odium (laughs) that has ever existed. We're talking like at least decades of this very specific con. You could make arguments it's even longer, but like this con has been going on for a while and now is the final day of the con. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's absolutely what Cultivation was doing. I don't know if she you know specifically planned oh it's going to be zeth with nightblood in the house (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be teravangian with nightblood at the behest of zeth who's real angry about his dad (laughs) yeah but she was was and has been grooming teravangian to take odium since he came to see her period in the moment of ascension There are so many interesting quotes that are just packed full of great information. This moment is the most detailed and specific look at the actual process of ascending that we have so far in the Cosmere. There are a couple of other examples that you can point to, but they are definitely less detailed yeah there's so much more broad of just like exactly vin took the power and saw across the land and you're like what does that really mean like it took me i had to read that part when vin ascends a couple times like i wasn't really sure what was going on i was like wait what's happening and i believe that's intentional (laughs) 
in those moments because it happens with Kelsier. It happens with a lot of our characters who just get glimpses of power, including Dalinar or Wax or XYZ. It's I just think, kind of vague power overwhelmingness. Well, and I think part of that anyway is that most of those characters are ascending in like really action-packed moments. You know, mm -hmm. like Vin's in the middle of a battle and yeah. like trying to save Ellen's life. So she's not really thinking about what exactly is happening to her and like processing everything. She's, you know, busy doing stuff. But Tara Vangian is already a very like calculating and yeah. methodical person. And so it really makes sense that his ascension is also the most detailed we have. So let's read some of the quotes from that moment. Quote, the figure that contained Odium's power, the person who controlled it, evaporated taken by the sword that alone was so much investiture that teravangian felt the sword go dull in his fingers full lethargic as when a hot brand was shoved into a barrel of water there was an initial hiss but this power was too vast for the sword to drink it killed the person holding that power however which left a hole a need a vacuum like a gemstone suddenly without stormlight end quote so as we saw from the very first set of epigraphs and Navani's lecture on Fabriel mechanics, the vacuum created when investiture is rapidly pulled out from some type of vessel, whether it be a gemstone or a shard, is so potent that it will bring in whatever is nearby. And in this case, Teravangian has been, <laughs> when he does so, when he actually ascends, this is what he has to say. And what I think is truly one of the more terrifying things from the book. Quote, the power reached out and Teravangian felt a distinct connection to it. Passion, hatred. Today, Teravangian was only passion. Hatred, fear, anger, shame, awe, bravery. The power loved these things, and it surged around him, enveloping him. Take me, the power pled, speaking not in words, but in emotion. You are perfect. I am yours. End quote. For the very first time that I'm aware of in the Cosmere, we get a shard, or the power of a shard, having thoughts and commands and like is similar speaking to, to the dawn shard yes. i guess because yeah, yeah, yeah. we do hear the dawn shard speak but yeah very interesting especially saying that teravangian is perfect and i think that this is you know exactly what we've been talking about with teravangian for probably years at this point which is like it was his smart day the most important or is his dumb day the most important and I think the answer is both. However, I do wonder if Teravangian would have even been able to take the shard if he was not so stupid in this day and therefore so filled with emotion. I wonder if it is really just speaking to the ego of Teravangian, which we know is big. The man carries around a hefty ego. I think that... The shard, every word of it, to me, is just like, it makes me cringe. It, it makes me just like feel like someone's looking at me from behind. <laughs> you know, just the bad feelings, yeah. bad mojo. Uh, but take me. The power is doing the taking. 
Like, Tara Fanchian's not in control of this process, but the first thing well, the power says is like, no, 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 you can choose to do this. You can take I me. I don't think that's accurate. Brandon has called them vessels for a reason. I think you are totally right with what you were saying before and comparing the vessel to a gemstone, which mm-hmm. is also a vessel for power. You know, so like, I, I think that... I think that ultimately it's a two-way street. You know, I think that the the power and the vessel come into an intimate relationship mm-hmm. where they are not entirely one thing and they have to sort of work, yeah, work together and negotiate with each other to a certain extent. I don't think the power could just take him on its own. Mm-hmm. They there had to be some um, acquiescence from Teravangian. It a had to be a two-way street. You need to kind of give permission. Yes, you have to invite it into the home first. <laughs> I think that that's obviously correct, that this is definitely a symbiotic relationship between the vessels and the shard. I just find it so... It feels gross. It I does agree. feel gross. It's like, really like slimy, icky feeling. Yeah, and and I think that the concept of these two things working together is exactly as we mentioned before. It's just like, this is the worst possible setup (gasps) is when the mind and the power's intent are unified in their creepiness. Yeah. And now it seems like that's worry. Exactly. (laughs) Once Teravangian ascends, we then get like a whole series of him sort of processing that experience, Mm -hmm. which gives us some super interesting things and more insight into that relationship between Vessel and Shard. And I think it's interesting that Teravangian even gets insight into, like, the mind of Rasa. Mm -hmm. Like, there's some sort of lingering um, cognizance that Teravangian now has access to that I thought was really interesting and, like, didn't really expect that. Well, I mean, just going on romantic theory, we would assume that there is a cognitive shadow hanging around of Raysa, or did that all get sucked into Nightblood? Yeah, I think Raysa is just gone, but there does seem to be some kind of, like, mm, whisper or, mm-hmm. like, imprint, I guess because the power would remember, like, yeah. the power it knew every single Raysa, thing about yeah. Raysa, yeah, and so Teravangian still has access to all of that, those thoughts and feelings. And those insights that you're talking about really do put in perspective the things that Jeannat was saying earlier, that Cultivation must have realized, which is why she was doing all this pruning and all this work and all this setup, is she had to see these same weaknesses that now Teravangian is voicing. Yeah, so here we get back to, this is the quote we were talking about at the beginning, quote, He saw that his predecessor had been sliding toward oblivion for a long, long time, weakened by his battles in the past, then deeply wounded by honor. This being had been enslaved by the power, failing to claim Dalinar and then losing the tower and storm blessed had left the being frail, vulnerable, but the power was anything but frail. It was the power of life and death of creation and destruction, the power of gods. In his specific case, the power of emotion, passion, and, most deeply, the power of raw, untamed fury, 
of hatred unbound, end quote. Again, setting up more terrifyingness, hatred unbound, untamed fury. Yeah, I think this answers the question of like, what actually is odium? Is it really hatred or is it maybe passion? And like, maybe it's fine. Maybe it's not as bad as we think. I think this is pretty clearly like, no, it's definitely hatred. Yeah, it's untamed (laughs) fury. And I think that that is so interesting because... You know, if we just take normal human experience, like what is the thing that causes older people, just regular old humans, to become less passionate and less maybe exciting as they were when they were young? So often it is the difficulty or the failures that they have experienced in their life that makes them more and more cautious when you're young you can be passionate about stuff because like you've never known failure like (sighs) go out there kids seek a brand new world do something crazy but like use your passion and your emotion to drive you forward but then if you've had a long hard life and your body's old and frail and you're not as sharp as you once were and you knew it you can like hear people talking and you're like i don't understand the internet my friend i think that there's like you pull back into your shell so that's what i think is happening to Raisa. he's had all of these experiences he's old and he has just been slowly pulling back trying to protect himself like in a cocoon and untamed fury is not going to be checked like that it's like go full bore i need someone new someone passionate race i think has lost a step I think that's a little bit ageist. I'm just going to say for our older podcast audience. <laughs> but I do understand what you're saying. I also wonder, okay, Raisa tries all of these things, fails in a bunch of different ways. Obviously, as a human, we're impacted by our failures. That doesn't feel great. And I wonder if like the hatred and fury of the power can turn on the vessel Mm -hmm. like is Raisa you know like is that hatred and fury also directed at him yeah or is he only able to like wield it outward I've never really thought about that before but I feel like if it can be turned on Raisa that would not be a good position to be in like if you are holding the shard of fury and then you keep failing at what it wants you to do bad situation so i guess there is a worry a tiny fear and that we kind of addressed earlier at least mentioned that while we think cultivation has set this all up and it's been this like real long con of odium maybe the reality of the situation is odium the shard got real angry and was like oh look over there weakness the possibility to get rid of one vessel and replace it with another and then just I don't, again, I don't want to give too much personification to the shard, mm-hmm. but just like pushed Raisa yeah. that, in that direction and then watched what happened. Like, maybe this is exactly what Odium Untamed Fury wants is to be in the possession of Teravangian. I think it's less of a crafty manipulation on the part of Odium. And I think it says more about the... Uh, short-sightedness and mistakes of cultivation (laughs) in that like she thought that she was setting up this great long con but she actually uh 
did not really succeed at what she thought she was doing. Exactly. And I have to imagine that she couldn't ever predict what would happen after Taravangian ascended. Oh, of course. Yeah. She was just like, I'm doing my best. This seems good. Yeah. Great idea, me. Might not be great, but it could be better than what we have now. Oh, honey. And we we will get to the oh, honey. honey. An ancient dragon. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get there. (laughs) Some more sort of insights on the nature of Vessel and Shard. This is from Ja'anat from earlier, but it's an interesting, again, observation about this relationship. Quote, she didn't fully understand the laws that bound him. They were ancient and related to compacts between the shards, the high gods of the Cosmere. Odium wasn't simply the mind that controlled the power, the vessel, nor was he merely that power alone, the shard. He was both. And at times it seemed the power had desires that were counter to the purposes of the vessel. End quote. Let's take that and go right into a quote from Teravangian after he has ascended that shows this duplicity or this i want to say like yin and yang in the best of circumstances but this is more like yeah it's like a negative yin and yang quote he was free free to destroy to burn to wreak havoc and terror upon those who had doubted him no no free to plan to devise a way to save the world from itself he could see so far see so much he needed to think to burn no to plot to to end quote there's this inability for him to even get through a thought or two along the lines of planning plotting trying to save the world before being interrupted yeah he's like constantly being barraged with these desires to just destroy everything yeah and I find it interesting because obviously we've seen a little bit of that from Ruin on Skadriel and that kind of Mm, desire to destroy. And this is specific in the idea of like wreaking havoc and terror. Ruin was always undercut with that little bit of like, hey, bro, this is just the way of the universe. Well, I think the thing about Ruin is that as he describes the intent of the shard as something like entropy. Mm hmm. It has within it built in a sense of time and slow decay. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really matter what, you know, how fast that happens or when it happens. You know, as far as ruin is concerned, every second of every day, things are dying and we're getting closer to the period of nothingness. So like ruin's doing its job. Yeah. He just doesn't want the ruin to stop, which is what preservation wants, obviously. Versus Odium, who is just like, now 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 right like that passion of like this needs to happen right now and that is always terrifying the yeah suddenness of change basically a toddler odium is a toddler oh that's a great point the cosmere's (laughs) toddler odium just like all emotion no sense of like humanity or relationship to others just complete emotion now i want what i want and i want it now and if you don't give it to me 
I will tear this mother to the ground. Yeah, some of our parents can let us know. We do yeah. not have a toddler, but I've heard <laughs> but terrible twos. I have is seen it like two to four, toddler. two to six? I don't know when two the ages are. Oh I don't my. know what the ages are when they are the most <laughs> focused on what you just described, that inability to recognize other people. Obviously, at some point, it kind of like kicks in and the brain develops in that different way of like, being able to recognize that yeah. others exist. Yeah. For some people, it no, takes them to adulthood. For some people, <laughs> their parents are like putting them in a good spot so they're developing quicker. Yeah. I think from like childhood development, it is like two, two and three years old mm-hmm. where uh, your brain really doesn't have a way to like comprehend, like have any kind of empathy or yeah. really even sympathy for other humans, which is why like, toddlers will slap you in the face and like yeah, they just, just don't they care. don't understand that that hurts like mm-hmm. they truly don't have a concept of it because it doesn't hurt them <laughs> exactly like yeah, it's yeah. very clear i can hit you as many times as i want and <laughs> this the, is fine the only thing in pain is my hand from hitting you so hard so i won't do it forever <laughs> but like they don't and that's such an interesting idea of comparing that to odium because they also or all of the shards also lack the other shards they are by their nature of this division into 16, right. they are in an imbalance, much like a toddler is. They're just, they're not where they need to be as a full adult. They're imbalanced and they're going through a process. Odium's stuck there. There's a quote from one of the letters uh, that says something like, I'm really disappointed that so few of the original shards mm-hmm. have kept to our initial pact to remain separate and like, you know, you have Rashar that has three shards on it and Scadriel that had two shards on it and like all of these. And I wonder if that is sort of why the shards like gravitated together mm-hmm. because they sort of recognized their limitations in only having one shard. I believe that you're on the right track because Harmony really suggests that there is in his position of holding two shards but being one vessel there is also a weird imbalance which is creating perfect balance and that inability I think to that's move specific to harmony though oh exactly i 100 agree that is specific to harmony i wonder if a different person wielding two different shards would experience the same thing or if their job would be a little bit easier for example I'll talk a little bit more about this theory in a later episode, but quick theory, perhaps Dalinar takes Odium and unites it with the pieces of honor that are in the Stormfather that he already has access to and ends up with like, I don't know, War Shard or something. And like, would that actually be better than just odium, pure emotion, or just honor, mm. pure rules, no emotion. You know, like putting them together, is that actually going to be a better, more productive, easier power to have and hold and wield? I think that the exact circumstance that you're laying out may work out better than the shards that are diametrically opposed, mm-hmm. like ruin and preservation. Yeah. But I think what we can maybe take from that letter, I believe it's from Frost, yeah, is that a lot of the shards, maybe including ones that we didn't see before Rhythm of War, decided to pair up because maybe 
they are not only attracted to that, but as you just described, like the shards work better when they are in connection. Yeah. And not necessarily held by one person. Like, I think that this all could be an example of just like they're doing the best thing that they can. And the best thing that they can is to be working together and maybe the you know give some credit to the shards basically is what i'm saying like they created a bunch of worlds they've been living around for a long time there seems to be a lot of you know advancement and progress and like cool yeah, species who and knows stuff. what adenalsium times were like maybe it was way better we don't know we really don't know but we do know that it ended and therefore it's not perfect it's not <laughs> like a utopia these people who were the maybe. og vessels had some reason we don't know what it was they but could they could have been the villains we don't know exactly maybe they were a... living in utopia and these people were just rude <laughs> they were the ones this is why we can't have nice about the utopia they were just like oh my, we do the same thing every day why is perfect. life perfect yes <laughs> what is going to happen with teravangian down the line possibly i think that he is now the cosmere's big bad that we have in front of our face. And yes, we can keep speculating about like an autonomy character or another shard or whatnot, but Teravangian holding Odium seems to me to be the biggest problem that the Cosmere is facing. Well, okay. And here's the thing, because like I said at the beginning, I feel like Teravangian is just so complex and I can never put my finger on if he really is just an evil mastermind or if there are like some redeeming sympathetic qualities to him, you know, like, okay, I don't like all of the things that he's doing, but at least he has a good intent of like, I'm trying to save humanity, you know? And sometimes I feel like that's true. You know, Teravangian is saying, I want to save people and that that is the truth. And so, okay, I buy it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel like he really is just an evil psychopathic mastermind and so when he ascends i'm kind of like maybe this will be good you know he was just like crying on the floor of his room like trying to do the right thing and i want to believe in him and then he ascends and he says a whole bunch of crazy shit i think your idea is backed up by some of the things that cultivation says as well like mm -hmm. she clearly sees the good side of Teravangian that you are expressing exists. I am going to say, I'm just going to take the other side of that coin. Like, that's an easy one. You're picking the, oh, Teravangian could be good. And I'm just going, Teravangian is bad. Well, and like, you know, Dalinar wants to see the best in him. Mm -hmm. And there's that whole moment where Teravangian is like, please prove me wrong, Dalinar. Yeah, I'll we'll be hug it out yeah. in the end, basically. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He's like, we will embrace. And he's like crying. And you're like, oh, maybe he really is. Like, you know, they don't agree, but that doesn't mean he's necessarily a bad person. And then this whole last part. This is another great example of not being able to trust anyone with power who you think you can trust. Because just like Hoyd, we've been sitting here like, cultivation she's so smart she's just sitting there setting up all these great plans and then she shows up and you're just like you dumb oh honey i believe is what you said <laughs> exactly. to the ancient dragon yes oh honey she shows up and she says quote odium's power is the most dangerous of the 16 it ruled Raisa, driving him to destroy 
It will rule you too if you let it, end quote. And then at another point, she continues on to say, quote, you were heading in this direction. All I could do was hope that if you succeeded, my gift would work, that I had changed you into someone who could bear this power with honor, end quote. And so she has like so much faith that Teravangian is going to be, you know, a better vessel. And I really just think, I mean, she even says, bear the power with honor. Like, lady, I know you miss Tanavast and you guys were lovers and shit, but like, he's dead. Honor is dead. And Teravangian is not honor. May I just say that honor still lives as long as he lives in the heart of men. So I hear the cultivation cry. Like she is out there without her love, without honor in the world. And she's like, maybe Teravangian, I can push you in the right direction enough to help you out to be honorable because you have honor inside of you. And I respect the opinion of those who want to believe in the goodness but I'm just going with her first quote, which is, is straight tripping. power is the most dangerous of the 16. And you just put it in the hands of Teravangian? I think it's a bad Ugh. call. I think it's just a situation where they don't know what is going to happen. And I always believe, this is my personal bias, coming in right now, coming in hot. But I always believe that the people who are capable of the worst things believe deep in their heart that what they are doing is right. We're not going to get into historical discussions, you know but what? like every terrible person thought I, they were doing the right thing. I don't. I don't think that's true. I think that Teravangian, his whole thing, why he's so confusing and I never know what's real is because he is constantly lying to himself Mm. i think like i think he knows deep down that he is a psychopath that just wants to kill and destroy but he can't like settle with that and so he just tells himself no i'm not a bad person i'm not a bad person you mean the rewriting of the diagram and stuff yeah like all of the explain that a little bit more so there's just so many times when he contradicts himself Like, you know, if you go way back to like Way of Kings and Words of Radiance, he's like, I'm trying to save all of humanity on Rashar. And then he fails at that. He only saves Carbronth. And in Rhythm of War, he's like, I saved Carbronth. That's what I always wanted to do. I succeeded. It's like whatever was possible or whatever he was doing was the thing that he always wanted to do. Yeah. Like he just slightly rewrote so he's always the perfect hero exactly just like he was rewriting the diagram he's never failed yeah yeah the diagram was always telling him to do exactly the thing that he ended up doing yeah and it never was the diagram was never wrong they just like he would just reinterpret it and just say oh no this is what it was always saying dalinar was supposed to die until he wasn't supposed to die because dalinar didn't die and it's not that the diagram is wrong it's just that we have to look at it in a different way but this is the way it's always been this is so similar to what we have been talking about like there were real people in the world who broke off from the diagram and were like, Teravangian is doing the wrong thing. And yeah. we didn't believe those. They were the outcasts. They were the weirdos. And we kept believing Teravangian. And like, what if it just take the thing at its face value? Teravangian was getting stuff wrong all the time. All and then, the time. Like you are saying, he is 
because we see things from his perspective, his perspective is always constantly rewriting itself. Yeah. And so that's part of like my confusion about Taravangian. But I think it's because of that internal conflict. And so to come back to the beginning of this <laughs> tangent, I think that he is actually a bad person who is continually lying to himself to make himself feel like a good person. But I think he's a bad person. And I think that that becomes very clear after he ascends. And we get these few quotes, quote, but he did know his predecessor's plans and had access to some of his knowledge. So Teravangian knew the Cosmere was in chaos, ruled by fools, presided over by broken gods. He goes on to say, quote, he was finally free of the frailties of body and position that had always controlled and defined him. He finally had the freedom to do what he desired. And now Teravangian was going to save them all, end quote. The most terrifying uh, proposal to save everyone that I've ever heard. It's not Superman. Like, this is not a situation when you're like, go for it, Teravangian. Like, best case scenario, right? He ascends and is like, hey, Shard, you know this plan to, like, conquer the Cosmere? Maybe let's not do that. Let's, like, take a step back, bro. And instead, he just leans into it real hard and is like... I have a better way yeah. <laughs> to take over the entire Cosmere. Don't scrap the plan. Bump it up. I think there is that <laughs> long running show with a very handsome lead actor, Lucifer, when it's just oh. the devil has wants to take time off and is like tired of doing the whole devil thing. And he just goes out and like makes love to a bunch of pretty women oh. and men, I think, okay. um, and solves crime for some weird TV reason. <laughs> and Taravangian could have gone that route. He could have just taken the yeah, power and the passion totally. and just like gone on a Rasharian pleasure cruise, <laughs> just up to the Reshi Isles and just hanging out. But no, he leaned in and went extra devilly. He was like, let's become more like the devil. Let's real push into the evils of this untamed fury. Yeah. And even just like the sort of wording of it as like, now he's finally free to like kind of be who he's always been, basically. Yeah. You know, if we go with that premise that he's always been a bad person, just lying to himself, and now he doesn't have to lie anymore. He like now has the excuse, right, of like, oh, it's odium, not me. I can't help it. From Taravangian's perspective, though, if we're inside of his head, as we have been in these scenes, I think he is always going to be saying to himself, Falsely, but saying to himself, I'm doing this for good reasons. Yeah, good, I agree, but yeah. don't believe that person. You don't have to believe that person, but I'm saying that's the danger here. Because he's a liar. I'm uh, worried. I'm getting so passionate about this. I feel the shard of odium. That's exactly what it is. Odium <laughs> reaches out and infects everything. And then, of course, we end with Teravangian basically saying, oh, honey, to cultivation, quote, oh, you wonderful creature, he thought, you have no idea what you've done, end quote. Terra Vodium. Terra Vodium. That is it. Like, that's where we're left until we get to the epilogue oh when he messes over with our boy Hoyt. As we said at the beginning, we're going to do that in another episode. But Terra Vodium. I want to scream at cultivation. Yeah, Terra Vodium is right now, to me, most dangerous thing in the Cosmere. Yeah. And the 
biggest problem that I see is that we have multiple characters, Thydekar, Marais. We know that Chris is running around too. We know the world hoppers are all there. Rashar is this weird, is in this weird position of being almost like the center of the Cosmere as a whole. And Taravangian is going to follow someone off world. He's going to figure out some way to unlock the something or to manipulate someone well, to do the, the something. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, obviously. I think Raisa was basically more likely to stay trapped in the Rasharian system. And I think Taravangian, there is basically zero chance that he doesn't start to I reach out to the rest I'm of the not, Cosmere. I'm not 100% convinced that like we're already in the end game. Mm. I'm not convinced that we know what's going to happen in the deal. And we'll talk about that more in our The Deal episode. <laughs> deal or no deal. Which is now the new title. <laughs> My last thought on this topic is the question of what aspects of Teravangian the Man now apply to Teravodium the Shardholder. Is his quote-unquote boon and curse still applicable? Are the inverse relationship between his intelligence and his compassion... Mm still continuing as a shard no has i don't he think so everything behind yeah has he does he carry forward the lessons that cultivation clearly tried to teach him like i think this is the big question going okay, forward is how much thought. of Teravangian is still around i think that the boon and curse mm -hmm. or whatever it was yeah because this is a cultivation pruning yeah not a night watcher cultivation's thing mm -hmm. well said <laughs> i think that cultivation's pruning is kind of an add-on to taravangian's spirit web mm. like sort of like a hemallergy type thing like it was sort of tacked on yeah but i don't think it is an integral part that is going to stay with him as he ascends like i think at this point of ascension you know all of the sort of physical, external, like extra stuff mm -hmm. gets stripped away from yeah. the spirit web, right? So obviously no more body, a bunch of other stuff is going to slough off, I think, including cultivations, pruning, and all that is left is like the base spirit web of Teravangian that has now been merged with the power of the shard. I think that you are 100%. No, I'm going to say I think you are 98% correct. <laughs> okay. Because I do believe that the body sticks around, as we saw with Ati and Larry. Well, yes, but it is basically non functioning. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. It, well, it's dead. It's dead in the physical realm. And, it's but it's not there. With Teravangian. I don't know where it is, but it's somewhere. And it's like, it's dead in the house. I think that's specifically mentioned right before he ascends. Mm -hmm. He says like... He looks back. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. sees Zeth with the sword in the house mm -hmm. and Teravangian's like dead body. And he's like, oh, they're just going to think that I'm dead. <gasps> Actually, hold on. Now that I'm thinking about and this... there it is. I think it's Race's body. There it is. Teravangian's body is with him somewhere. Oh, this is like a 
Mother Mary Ascension type thing. They're switching out, right? Swapping bodies. Isn't that a? Isn't that like a religious thing? I think. Yeah, the Feast of the Ascension. Well done. They think that uh, Mary's whole body just floated up to heaven. And I believe what we saw with Ati and Laris is that somehow, some way, the body, the physical body, yeah. does stay with them that when they is are shot. Weird to me. Like, where is it? It's in the nether. There's it's just in the a nothing. body. Yeah. Like, <sighs> in nothing. In the spiritual realm. And it's being held there by the power of the shard and the vessel combined. But like, that's why hmm. when Laris yeah. dies. No, I think you're totally right. I just can't quite wrap my brain around it. Of course. Yeah. It doesn't make sense, <laughs> obviously, because we're. Like, how does a physical thing yeah. exist in a space that is not physical? <laughs> I only think it happens for the shard holders, maybe also Don shard holders, but like, I only think it happens for the shard holders. But when Laris dies, it is like his consciousness as fuzz is in a position on Scadrail. And then when he dies, the body drops from the nothing, the nether, onto that spot in the physical world. So it was like, always hanging around him somehow so i just think that terry van jean's body is still with him even though i agree it's basically non-functioning and not purpose built anymore but you're all welcome to think of that just floating terry van jean body out there anytime he shows up there's just a (laughs) hanging floating no i don't want (laughs) i don't like this thought experiment let us know what you think. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Reddit. We have a YouTube page. We have a Patreon. Wow. Things getting expansive up in here. Yeah. And we also have a Stormlight Archive explained badly. Yes, we do. This one is from Daniel Nash. A man and his pet Stormcloud try and save the world from singing lobster people. <laughs> Wonderful. Singing lobster people is actually my new favorite description. We have so much coming up. More with Dalinar, more with Teravodium, more with all of our character breakdowns. And we are just going to go on a run now of more character-specific aspects from Rhythm of War. Yeah, there's a whole bunch on the docket. So stay tuned. And as Tyler said, continue to... Let us know your thoughts and theories and ideas. Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. 